to this edition of DCS Talk, a podcast production of the Tennessee Department of Children's Services. The intention of DCS Talk is to promote dialogue among child welfare professionals, foster parents, and the entire community about ways to prevent child abuse and neglect. I'm Shanika Morgan, a training manager for DCS, and I'm your host for this edition. We will be discussing Family First Prevention Services Act, or FFPSA. So what is FFPSA? It encourages child welfare agencies to join with community partners to envision a new way of working together and supporting families. The Families First Prevention Services Act also seeks to reduce the use of congregate or group care for children and instead places a new emphasis on family foster homes. The two major components of FFPSA include expanding prevention services and limiting congregate care. I am interviewing a few staff who serve different roles at the Department of Children's Services. I have with me today Rebecca Bevins, who is the Director of Training and Program Development in the Office of Child Safety. She is co-leading the prevention team for FFPSA. I have Michelle Ryder, who is the Program Director in the Office of Child Programs. She is co-leading the custodial team for FFPSA. And last but not least, I have Helen Rogers, who is an Assistant General Counsel. She is leading the FFPSA implementation team. Welcome, ladies, and thank you for joining me. So, Rebecca, can you explain to our listeners how prevention plays a role in FFPSA and how candidates are identified? Absolutely. So Family First really gives the state of Tennessee a unique opportunity to implement evidence-based services for families that prevent children from entering foster care. It really helps to strengthen families and the strengths that they already have going. In Tennessee, what we're going to be utilizing is a couple of our current assessment tools. So we're trying to avoid reinventing the wheel and just building upon the platforms that DCS already uses to identify our candidates for Family First. We will continue using our fast and safe assessment. From that, if we get a high-risk need or if a IPA is enacted or if a certain CFTM type is used, there will automatically be an indicator in TFACS that will identify the child as a family-first candidate. Once that happens, the needs generated from the FAST will automatically go into building a non-custodial permanency plan. And the non-custodial permanency plan is serving as Tennessee's prevention plans. So essentially, we are going to be listing in these non-custodial permanency plans the different programs that we're going to be using and the evidence-based services that we're going to be using to address the family's needs. And those evidence-based programs are reviewed by a Title IV-E clearinghouse from the Children's Bureau, and that's how we determine which services we can use. We are looking to ever expand this list based on the clearinghouse identifying more of these evidence-based programs and working with our providers in Tennessee to help implement them. One of the big ones that we will be using is motivational interviewing. This is something that we're currently working on training all of our staff in, and it is a really great interviewing technique and intervention to help families along with this process. So we're really looking forward to that being a big part of Family First and helping our staff better connect with families. Rebecca, I'm sure that that will do a lot in helping our families connect. So, Rebecca, you mentioned something about the Clearinghouse as being part of this initiative. Could you explain to our listeners a little bit more about the Clearinghouse? 
Absolutely. So the Title IV-E Clearinghouse is ran by the Children's Bureau. They're currently responsible for rating evidence-based programs that are utilized in the United States. These programs, as they're rated, become available to state child welfare agencies to utilize in our prevention plans. So a program becomes evidence-based once the intervention is submitted to the Clearinghouse. State child welfare agencies and providers do have the opportunity to submit these programs. Currently in our prevention plan, we're looking at using well-supported treatments and supported practices. We are going to be looking at using five different ones in our first prevention plan draft. We're going to be using parent-child interaction therapy, multi-systemic therapy, motivational interviewing, home builders, and youth villages intercepts. Okay, thank you so much for that explanation, Rebecca. So, Michelle, I'm aware that in some cases, prevention efforts are unsuccessful. So, could you discuss how FSPSA initiatives address custodial cases? Also, how does this correlate with FSPSA's efforts to limited congregate care settings? Sure, definitely. FSPSA has provision for if children obviously may come into custody and giving states guidance on what to do when children do come into custody. And of course, as in any situation, we prefer kids to be with families. FFPSA promotes the use of foster family homes. So if we're gonna have a child in custody, the hope is to place them in a foster home with a family as opposed to a congregate care or any other type of setting. But also the act acknowledges the fact that that's not always possible. A child's needs may be a little bit more intense than can be met, at least for a period of time in a foster home. When that is the case, there is a provision to be able to place a child in a congregate care setting. However, Family First does limit those congregate care settings and the placing a child in those settings. It limits our ability to place a child if we want to receive that 4E funding. Those placements have to be assessment driven. The team has to be in agreement with those placements and there has to be reviews of those placements. In order for a placement to meet the congregate care setting requirements, approval of Family First, they have to become what is known as a Qualified Residential Treatment Program, or a QRTP. And those placements have to meet certain specific requirements in order to become a QRTP, such as they have to have a trauma-informed program. They have to have 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week access to nursing and clinical staff. There must be family engagement from the start of a child's placement, and then the provider also has to offer six months of aftercare services. That's the front end, the first hurdle for placing a child in a congregate care setting. And then for the state, our workers have to also do other things in order to place a child and get approval under Family First for a child's placement in a congregate care setting. There has to be an assessment within 30 days of the date of placement, and we use the sister assessment to the FAST that Rebecca had mentioned we use the CANS for our custodial kids. The CANS has to be approved by our consultant in each region um, within 30 days of the date of placement. Then that CANS has to be used to guide the CFTM in which the placement decision is being made. And that CFTM also has to be held within 30 days of the date of placement. The team has to agree that the needs of the child cannot be met in a foster home, but need to be met in a congregate care setting. They're too great for the foster home at that point. Once the child goes into the QRTP or the congregate care setting, then there is a requirement also for a 60-day court review. So within 60 days of placement of the child in that setting, the court must review the documentation the team has made of placing the child along with the assessment and document on order whether or not the court agrees or disagrees with that placement. 
when the court does agree with the placement and the child in the congregate care setting long-term, there's a provision under Family First for a long-term review of those placements, and that is done by um, the DCS commissioner. And those long-term reviews occur when a child is 13 and over if they've been in a congregate care setting for 12 consecutive months or 18 non-consecutive months. And for kids 12 and under, it's at six months regardless of their consecutive or non-consecutive. And the commissioner will review all the documentation from ongoing assessment and child and family team meeting minutes, and she will decide whether or not that she feels that placement to continue is appropriate. Michelle, that was an excellent explanation. Helen, as Assistant General Counsel, I am sure that there have been discussions around policies and research collected to show the significance in implementing FFPSA. Could you share with our listeners what factors to consider to move forward with FFPSA? Yeah, thanks for that question. I think the most important thing that we need to talk about when we're talking about family-first implementation is the fact, and as you've heard Rebecca and Michelle mention, that Tennessee already has an extremely strong set of policies and practices, both by our frontline case management staff and our provider community. So in Tennessee, we're really fortunate. Family First for us isn't a complete start over. It's an enhancement of our current practices. Our whole goal through Family First implementation is to give you the tools necessary to work with family and children at risk of custody more effectively and to hopefully give you more tools in your toolbox to help serve those families and children. From a global perspective, when we start talking about the policies and practices that we've looked into in Tennessee, again, we're fortunate we've delayed implementation a little bit. So we've been really working hard with the states that have already implemented Family First to have an understanding from them of what's worked for them, what hasn't worked for them, what barriers they've encountered, so that we here can hopefully make implementation for you all as streamlined as possible. We are working with a third-party technical assistance group to help us you know, select the evidence-based practices, to look at the population that we're serving, we have been talking to other states about what policies they've implemented, how being able to streamline permanency plans through things like assessment integration has helped them, where we may want to auto-populate programs and services to hopefully take some work off of our frontline case management staff. And then we've also been looking at our congregate care or group care service array to make sure that we have uh, sufficient placements that meet the needs of children in custody. Thanks so much, Helen, and thanks again to all of you for providing our listeners with an explanation of FSPSA, and I definitely myself look forward to the rollout. Thank you for joining us for this edition of DCS Talk. Please listen again to hear other subject matter experts discussing ways to advocate for children and build resilient communities.